topic that was given to me for tonight is the faith movement, uh, and uh, I've received a lot of criticism for even daring to question anybody. Uh, I've been accused of causing division, and must be somewhere around here, I guess not. Um, if you read your Bibles, those of you that do, you, I'm sure you know that Jesus caused division everywhere he went. Uh, he said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Uh, I came to set husbands and wives against one another, fathers and children against one another, because you have to choose whether you're going to stand for truth or not. Uh, I've had the scriptures quoted and misquoted at me. People say, it says in Romans 16:17, mark them which cause division among you and avoid them. And I say, wait a minute, you better go back and read your Bible again. It doesn't say that. It says, mark them which cause division contrary to the doctrine you have received and avoid them. You don't cause division by standing for truth. You cause division by introducing false doctrine and refusing to be corrected. That's what the Bible says. People say, touch not... <clears throat> uh, you probably heard that one. It's a misapplication of Scripture. It comes from the Old Testament, Psalm 105. Suffered them not to touch his, his uh, anointed and to do his prophets any harm. You really get it from David. Remember David was hiding in the cave? <coughs> and Saul came in. Saul was pursuing him and took a nap. And his men said, this is the chance. Kill him. And David said, I wouldn't touch the Lord's anointed. God forbid that I should lift up my hand against the Lord's anointed. It means to kill him. Uh, on the second occasion, you remember, a deep sleep from the Lord came upon Saul and his troops. And David went down with Abishai. And Abishai said, let me smite him. I don't have to hit him twice. I'll pin him to the ground with my spear. And again, David said, God forbid that I should touch the Lord's anointing. He took his canteen. He took his spear. And when David got across uh, a ravine and up on a, a, a hill where they couldn't catch him very fast, he called and woke them up. And what did he do? He rebuked Saul in front of the armies of Israel and all of his men. He rebuked him publicly. And he said, Why are you chasing me? What have I done? So, to use that verse, God forbid that I would touch the Lord's anointed, as justification for letting people say anything they want, and you dare not question a leader, simply is not good Bible. But Benny Hinn says, no matter how bad they are, no matter how false the doctrine is, don't you try to correct them. And don't you question them. In fact, he says, if you question me, if you try to correct me, your children are going to be killed, going to be destroyed. Uh, just like, um, you know, to Korah and so forth, who rebelled against Moses. What I'm going to say tonight... Where is that coming from? That's Ben. Benny Hinn's on the phone, huh? Uh, um, well, you know, I was looking for a little something that I brought up here, and I guess I lost it somewhere. But it's a, uh, it's a, um, uh, just from a rat poison packet, and maybe you're not aware of this. Rat poison 
is 99.5% nutritious. It tastes good. That's why rats like it. <laughs> it just has enough poison to kill them. And I'm not standing here to say that everything these men teach, the people I'm going to be talking about tonight in the faith movement, not everything they teach is wrong. That's what makes it so subtle and seductive. Because some of what they say is right. You will hear Paul Yonggi Cho preach a, a real gospel at times. Talk about really being in submission to the Spirit of God, surrendering to His will. But at other times, it is totally false. It's destructive. It's demonic. It comes from the occult. So understand that I'm not saying that everything these people, because people will say, well, I heard him preach a good, a good message. Well, we talk about Catholicism tomorrow, for example. Catholicism has deceived an awful lot of people. A Roman Catholic, for example, believes that God existed eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They believe that the Son of God came to this earth, was born of the Virgin, became a man, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again, that he's coming back. But to all of that truth, they have added such error that they have turned the truth into a lie. And when you read uh, Galatians 1, for example, uh, Paul says, and I think it's been quoted previously by other speakers, Though I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. And he repeats it again. Of course, that takes care of the angel Moroni, uh, uh, who came down and preached another gospel. Who was he opposing? The Judaizers, we call them. They believed that God existed eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They believed that he came down and was born of a virgin. They believed he died on the cross. They believed all the orthodox things. But to that truth, they had simply added that to be saved, you had to be circumcised and keep the law. And Paul said, that destroyed the gospel. It became a false gospel. You understand? Truth mingled with the lie. The lie destroys the truth. And we'll, we'll get into that tomorrow. But these people have mixed the truth with the lie. Part of the lie is so bad. Well, we'll, 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 get, to, we'll get to that. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. I, I, first of all, I want to just show you some things. Oh, here we go. Rat poison. <laughs> it says it right there. 99 point... Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Even less poison than I thought. It's 99.995% nutritious. 0.005% poison. Let me just show you some things that you may not be aware of. Maybe you're on these mailing lists. I don't know. Here's the supposed nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Touch my hands. I will touch yours. Over by a window. I'm supposed to take this to a window. Based on Malachi 3.10, where I have promised you I will open you the windows of heaven. We'll see tonight that they pervert the scriptures. I mean, what an application. You're going to take it to a window, and he's going to do it to a window in his house. Lay any unpaid bills in your wallet on these nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Now, you'll notice it's almost always, it's either money, success, or healing. It's very self-oriented. Well, 
the gentleman, lay this other side open by a window and touch your hands to Jesus' hands. I must take this to a certain window that the Lord is showing me as I lay my hands where you lay yours. This is Rex Humbart, of course. Uh, and it's one of these personal letters, you know, that uh, has your name all through it because the computer is programmed to do that. Uh, and, uh, of course, on this line, write the amount of money you desire God to release into your life to lift this financial burden and so forth. Of course, uh, you reach what you're supposed to do now to get this miracle is place your wallet under the Bible and place both the Bible and your wallet close to a window. In the morning, it is a must that you prove God and mail in your largest bill in Bible faith. The Bible says that Second Peter chapter 2 there were false prophets in those days, and there will be false prophets among you who will make merchandise of you. This is making merchandise. This is a scam, folks. I'm sorry. It's a money-making scam. That's what it is. I used to get letters from Peter Popoff. The man lost so much sleep over me personally. He was always up all night praying for me. And, of course, a lot of other people on his mailing list, I don't think he ever had a chance to sleep. If we could believe what he said. This is W.V. Grant. You ever watched him on TV? Pretty impressive people coming right out of wheelchairs. You know who they are? W.V. Grant. I can't go into all. I could tell you all of his tricks. Uh, some of them are mentalists like people who claim to read your mind do. But he's got the full bag of tricks, okay? But one of his tricks is he takes about 30 wheelchairs with him. You know, they, the doctors tell me I need a hip replacement. So somebody like me comes limping in a little bit. Oh, it's a big auditorium, and they meet you at the back with a wheelchair. Would you like to sit up in front <laughs> in a choice seat? Uh, we'll get in, and they'll wheel me down. And what do you know? Those are the ones he calls out of the wheelchair. And he calls me out. Well, I can walk anyway. Uh, and he sits in it, and I wheel him up and down, and praise the Lord. And you're a little bit embarrassed, because I really believe in W.V. Grant, and I wouldn't want to say that I walked in there. Uh, and the people who are legitimately in wheelchairs, they wonder why they didn't get healed when so many other people in wheelchairs did. It's a tra It's a tragedy. This is, uh, anyway, W.B. Grant. Robert Tilton has sent out the same sort of thing. Uh, stand in my feet, you know. Uh, these are the footprints of a man of God. And uh, he calls this a holy ground prayer rug. Uh, stand on the tracing of my feet and pray this prayer and so forth. Dear Lord Jesus, as I stand on the man of God's feet, you are putting everything the devil has tried to do to me under my feet. Uh, I must have this holy ground prayer page back so I can place it on the very ground that Jesus' feet will touch when he comes back. I'm going to bury this in the ground on the Mount of Olives. And then, uh, it's sickening. Uh, it's also occultism. You know, it's hocus pocus to get something to happen. Uh, he, he gives the instructions over here. And he says, take the holy ground prayer rug to a room where you can be alone. Worship God, stand on the drawing of my feet, pray and sing and so forth. Fill out the bottom of this letter 
and send in your prove God offering of $30 and so forth. Uh, it's always the seed faith thing that uh, Oral Roberts uh, invented. The emphasis, as I said, is almost always on on uh, money, success. And these guys must stay awake nights uh, dreaming up this stuff. Now, here is Robert Tilton. And... Um, I want to send you this miracle anointing oil. So he sends a little vial. I mean, why didn't he send it with oil in it? Well, because you sent it back to him with your seed faith offering. And then he'll put the oil in it and, and send it back to you. And here you are. The oil is being poured out. And financial miracle, physical miracle, special miracle. Rush your first empty vial back to me today with your best gift to God. You know, I suppose you saw the expose on TV. He was taking in about 80 to 100 million dollars a year. Uh, I'm going to fill your vial with special miracle oil. I don't know how he, where he gets this special miracle oil. And when you receive, but there's apparently thousands of people out there that believe this sort of thing. Uh, and when you receive it, I want you to place it on the point of your need. I have anointed this oil and will be praying for your miracle needs each week when I receive your prayer request. Of course, each prayer request uh, comes back, and here he's got some um, anecdotal evidence of people. Well, this one lady sent in a thousand dollars. He makes that clear, uh, and and got her healing. Emphasis on money, almost always. This is a, a book. Uh, this was an ad in Charisma, a book by. Oral Roberts, how I learned Jesus was not poor. Uh, well, I mean, after all, he wasn't poor because he had a treasurer. <laughs> well, they did very little in there, and what little there was, Judas stole. Um, but uh, these had to be wealthy men, as I think uh, a pastor not too far from here, Casey Treat, in his latest book, says. Uh, why they were businessmen, <laughs> owned a owned a boat, you know, a little fishing boat. I, I don't recall that they owned it. I thought it was their father's, and uh, they left their father in the nets and so forth. Um, and uh, Oral Roberts says they must have been very wealthy. They could take three and a half years vacation and go with Jesus, you know. Uh, and Jesus wore designer clothes. Well, he he had a robe that was woven without seam from top to the bottom, and so forth. Um, they pervert the word of God. And I think I wanted to find something on here. One of these that I overlooked. Yeah, here we go. Jesus wants you to, and I'm going to come back to this perversion of the Bible later, but Jesus wants you to have your miracle. And then he quotes, 3 John 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prosperous. Well, I don't know anything about Greek, but you can do what I do and look it up in your Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. And uh, if you turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 10, you will find exactly the same Greek word. And Paul says, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. It's the same Greek word that John uses in his third epistle. Uh, Paul certainly didn't mean that he hoped to make a lot of money on the way to Rome. 
he meant that God would have his blessing upon uh, his journey and what he was doing. But these men pervert that. It always means uh, money and, and success. These men, as I said last night, are false prophets. And I don't make any apology for calling them false prophets. Oral Roberts, for example, you remember he had a seven-hour conversation with a 900-foot Jesus. I don't think Jesus is 900 feet tall, and I don't think he goes around appearing to people as a 900-foot tall being. Oral Roberts is either hallucinating, or he's lying, or he was deceived by some demonic entity. Well, he certainly was deceived because this 900-foot Jesus told him to build the city of faith. Remember the praying hands that were out in front of that hospital, high-rise hospital that he built, that never had more than maybe 30 or 40 percent of the beds filled? Any idiot could have told you, as the city fathers of Tulsa tried to tell him, we don't need that hospital here, and it stands bankrupt today, in spite of people sending in the $8 million that he said that God had told he would kill him if he didn't get $8 million to keep this thing going. Well, it didn't keep it going. And it ended up in bankruptcy, a monument. It stands there today as a monument to a false prophet. You can't get around it, folks. How much evidence do we have to have that these men are false prophets? How, how wrong do you have to be? Uh, let me just give you some examples of Kenneth Copeland. This was a prophecy back in 1976. I'm quoting him. He said, as you move into the month of January... You shall see more of the outpouring of God's glory than you've seen in the history of this world. Did it happen? 1976, it didn't happen. Not that I know anything about. Uh, you will see limbs that have been amputated put back on by the power of God. You will see it instantly done. You will see men's hair grow to full head of hair right in the middle of a meeting. <laughs> These bald guys. You will see, you will see eyeballs replaced where there were no eyeballs before. I mean, you're going to see all of this stuff. Uh, these things are coming in, Seth God. This is a prophecy that he's uttering in the name of the Lord. Understand, this is not an idea that he comes up and says, well, I think this might happen. He is saying this in the name of the Lord. Benny Hinn has said many things in the name of the Lord by what he calls revelation knowledge, which he has had to repent of and admit he was wrong. They had to revise his book you know, good morning, Holy Spirit, because it was so bad. Now, there's not a trinity out there. There's nine of them. And, well, talking about Mormonism, God the Father has a body, soul, and spirit. So does the Holy Spirit has a body, soul, and spirit, just like Jesus does. So there's nine of them. There's not, not three of them. He said, Thus saith the Lord, I will cause your, auto, your automobile that you're driving and getting 10 miles to the gallon to get 70 miles to the gallon. The same old car. If you want to look that up, that's Believer's Voice of Victory, December 1975. Well, he prophesied Richard Nixon's complete vindication. Uh, he, he, well, this is God speaking through him again. To the Christians, you are no longer a minority in the earth, saith the Lord, you are a majority. Um, well, I don't, it hasn't happened yet, but it was supposed to happen that year. My miracle working power will be so common, this is February 1977, will be so common in Washington, D.C., that instead of being known for its horrible sin 
It will be known by the word of God, by the power of God that flows in its streets. We've got a little ways to go before that happens. Washington, D.C. These men are false prophets. They pervert the scriptures. They make merchandise of people. They're in this for money. And it always involves getting money from someone. I mean, let's just face the facts. I'm not trying to malign them. I'm giving you the evidence uh, that this is the case. We get thousands, I mean thousands of letters. I wish you could read the letters that we've gotten uh, because of the seduction of Christianity. People who have said to me, I confess, I was in the positive confession movement five years, ten years. These are their words. It was hell on earth. I confessed my Cadillac. I confessed my healing. I confessed my prosperity. It didn't happen. People said it was my fault. I didn't have faith. It destroyed my faith. I turned my back on God. I left the church. And thank God, somebody loaned me your book. And it restored me to the Lord. I just have um, maybe a, a couple. Here, here's one that says, I just got it the, the day that I came up here. I want to thank you so much for your information regarding the faith and healing and prosperity movement. My life has, was turned inside out because of being associated with this teaching. And now, for the first time in years, I'm regaining the love I once had for the Lord. Thank you. This is a testimony, and I've encouraged this lady maybe even to write a book if it's God's will. I don't know, but I think it's a story that needs to be told. She says, I was part of the faith message for a number of years, along, and she mentions her husband and brother-in-law, who subsequently died in a plane crash, uh, and something about their leadership in this movement. Our lives, before we got into it, she says, our lives were centered in the fear of the Lord and a desire to do his will. Then the faith message entered our lives. She goes on to tell how she be- they became self-centered, success-oriented, money-oriented, to get what they wanted from God. And then she talks about uh, the Hagans, the Copelands, Caps, Fred Price, and so forth, were our good friends. We were very involved with them. They were... Uh, I've known these men, their wives personally. They stayed in our home. We used to entertain them. I don't doubt they're sincere, sincerely wrong in their teaching. I do not remember a time when the fear of the Lord was preached. I could almost quote their message by heart. Each message was how to get something. Healing, success, prosperity. The spirit of Satan, I will. I will be like God is very strong among these people. Well, indeed, they teach that we are little gods. You know, the Mormons believe in becoming gods someday. These people teach we are gods already. Uh, And we'll explain, if you're not familiar with that, exactly how that works. Where did this come from? This message, they call it the faith message, that literally destroys faith and destroys lives. About a hundred years ago, there came into the church something called New Thought. It was New Age, basically. Uh, But it was called New Thought in those days. Uh, It was recognized as heresy. It was thrown out of the church. And those people involved in it became the founders of the, uh, the mind science cult. Science of mind, religious science, unity, Christian science, and so forth. Uh, This is just a newspaper article about uh, a convention 
that they were having. Meditation, positive thinking, other principles of new thought religion are gaining acceptance among more traditional church groups, says the president of an association of metaphysical religious churches. Moreover, criticism of new thought from traditional churches is on the decline, said the Reverend Blaine C. Mays, president of the International New Thought Alliance. Uh, and then he goes on, he says, Mays, senior minister at the Unity Church of Christianity in Phoenix, Arizona, cited positive thinking principles of the Reverend Dr. Norman Vincent Peale and the Reverend Robert Schuller as evidence of new thought principles being adopted by traditional groups. Finally, it's coming out, Mays said. When one goes to hear them, they are giving the new thought message. Schuller's possibility thinking approach is nothing but new thought religion, although the leader of the Crystal Cathedral in Southern California doesn't acknowledge it. Well, in fact, he does. I mean, he, he has spoken at Unity's, uh, Unity headquarters, as I mentioned last night. And it goes on, it says, despite a recent book challenging new thought, May said criticism has diminished among traditional church groups that have frequently criticized new thought adherence. And he, then he goes on, he talks about, uh, he said he was a seduction of Christianity, a best-selling Christian book by fundamentalist Christian Dave Hunt, who claims new thought adopts non-Christian meditation practices and so forth, which indeed it does. Norman Vincent Peale and Robert Schuller kept new thought alive in the church. It's just as simple as that. This metaphysical religious science, science of mind message, that was what they kept alive. And they gained more and more acceptance among evangelicals until they are highly accepted today. And the popularity of these men is staggering. I've, the thousandth hour of the uh, thousandth um, hour of power broadcast on television of Robert Schuller. President Bush came on to commend him for his self-esteem message. And the four living ex-presidents of the United States were there, along with, I think I mentioned Billy Graham, who said it's, um, it was I who in 1969 said, Bob, why don't you get your message on TV? Uh, there was, of course, Norman Vincent Peale. There was Mother Teresa. Uh, I don't dare say a word about Mother Teresa. She's right next to God. Christians say, I watched her on television. What a self-sacrificing life she lives. Yes, indeed she does. But you know what Mother Teresa says? She says, all we're trying to do is draw you closer to God. Your concept of God sounds like Alcoholics Anonymous. Sounds like the Masons. She says, if you're a Buddhist, we'll help you become a better Buddhist. If you're Hindu, we help you become a better Hindu. A Muslim, we help you become a better Muslim. Mother Teresa was there to praise him. So were some other fine, outstanding Christians, such as uh, Bob Hope and Sammy Davis Jr. and, and people like this. Uh, they're praising him, along with Billy Graham. These men have power. They have influence. Norman Vincent Peale credits Ernest Holmes. Ernest Holmes is the founder of religious science, science of mind, the Church of Religious Science. He credits him with making him a positive thinker. Robert Schuller credits Norman Vincent Peale as being his mentor. Uh, let me just read you, just from their own publication, uh, what science of mind teaches. Question, what is our belief about Jesus? Answer, we accept his example and teachings. We do not deny the divinity of Jesus, but rather we affirm the divinity of all people. Question, do we believe Jesus is our Savior? Answer, any world teacher who helps mankind to be free from material, intellectual, or emotional bondage is a spiritual Savior. 
Jesus showed us a way to be free, perhaps the most effective way ever known, and it can indeed release mankind from bondage. Question, what do we believe about the Bible? Answer, it is one among many sacred scriptures, all of which were inspired by the one mind and presented through various spiritual teachers. Uh, question, does science of mind believe in hell? Answer, heaven and hell are states of mind. Uh, does, question, does science of mind believe in heaven? Answer, there are certain exalted inner states of consciousness which may be more like the kingdom of God. Question, does science of mind believe in good and evil? Uh, they are human inventions, for ultimately there is only God, infinite love and truth. In the 1980, summer of 1986, um, Possibilities magazine, Robert Schuller's magazine, on the front cover was a man named John Marks Templeton. John Marks Templeton is one of the wealthiest men in the world. He has founded and funded the uh, Templeton uh, Prize for uh, Progress in Religion. Uh, the, uh, the board that de determines the recipients of this prize is made up of the representatives of the five major religions of the world, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, and so forth. I'm sorry to tell you that Billy Graham has been among the recipients. And I'm not here to malign Billy Graham. Uh, he preaches a simple gospel. Many people have come to Christ through Billy Graham. But why is he involved in this sort of thing? Why does not he stand up and point out what's wrong? People are being deceived because he is silent. On these, not only silent, he praises uh, these people. Um, the major article in that magazine was an interview with John Marks Templeton. And they asked him, to what do you attribute your success? He said, well, probably to my concept of God. I've come to the conclusion that nothing exists except God. He's the only reality. Now, wait a minute, this is pantheism. There is no correction of this in Robert Schuller's magazine. He's presenting this as the truth. Now, here's how it works, in case you're not aware of it. God is good, and God is all. Therefore, all that exists is good. And if you see something out there that looks like evil, sin, sickness, suffering, pain, death, it doesn't exist. You have been deceived by your mind. You, have, you are caught in the downward spiral of your negative thinking, and you need to become a positive thinker. And you can change your universe and all of your experience by your thinking, you see. Um, that's basic mind science teaching. Uh, I'm quoting, uh, if I can find it here, um, Ernest Holmes again. He says, Science of mind teaches that man controls the course of his life by mental processes which function according to a universal law. We will come back to this. All of the positive uh, confession teachers, the so-called faith teachers, they all teach it works by law. That was a problem with Christian science. Mary Baker Eddy turned Jesus into a scientist. It's supposed to be a compliment to Jesus. It's no more a compliment to Jesus than calling him a psychiatrist. We've got a lot of people who think he was the first psychiatrist, you know, uh, and the Bible agrees with that sort of thing. Well, I'll come back and we'll explain exactly uh, what is wrong with that. Norman uh, Vincent Peale says, quote, Your unconscious mind has a power that turns wishes into realities when the wishes are strong enough. Now, you see the connection to psychology, your unconscious mind. That was a Freudian uh, invention, and it hasn't been proved. Paul Yonggi Cho says, quote, through visualization and dreaming, you can incubate your future and hatch the results. Paul Yonggi Cho says, By the spoken word, we create our universe of circumstances. 
You create the presence of Jesus with your mouth. He is bound by your lips and by your words. In other words, there are laws that operate. Uh, and God himself is bound by these laws. Norman Vincent Peale's father uh, said this to him. Uh, he said, You have evolved a new Christian emphasis out of a composite of science of mind, metaphysics, Christian science, med medical and psychological practice, and so forth. Indeed he has. The connection uh, to the positive confession uh, teachers is... Um, is very apparent if you want to look at it and understand it. One of the main connectors is uh, was a lady named Agnes Sanford. I call her the Mary Baker Eddy of the charismatic movement. She was involved in unity. She was involved in science of mind. She was involved in the occult. She was the mentor of John Paula Sanford, for example, uh, the inner healers who worked with her uh, for years. She's the one who brought inner healing in. She trained uh, Ruth Carter Stapleton. She trained Rosalind Rinker and so many of these people. And her ideas came right out of the occult. Let me just tell you some of the things. Uh, she taught, for example, that the Great Tribulation is in the past. We're now in the millennium. And Christians must, through science of mind techniques, take dominion over this earth, even removing the effects of the fall without the return of Jesus Christ. She taught that God is a life force in everyone and everything, a form of energy like electricity. She called God, she said, the original force that we call God. We are part of God. He's in nature. He is nature. And then she tells us of facing a snake in the jungle and feeling a oneness with this serpent uh, because we're, we're all one. Uh, she tells how you, she gives four steps for tapping into this God force. Uh, the second is to quote, I'm quoting her, to turn it on, we can simply say, whoever you are, whatever you are, come into me now. In her autobiography, she tells as a girl in China, uh, going into a Buddhist temple and bowing down in front of the, the, the image of Buddha and calling for the spirit of Buddha to come in. Uh, and, and possess her. I mean, this is a woman who's looked up to as a great Christian leader. You'll find her books uh, recommended and sold at Vineyard Christian Fellowships, for example. John Wimber has been promoting this sort of thing as he does with the Lynn brothers who are Jesuit, uh, a, a priest. Uh, Morton Kelsey, who is Agnes Sanford's pastor, who says that his mother died to redeem him, that you can get in touch with God through a Ouija board. I mean, I can go on and on. This is incredible stuff. <laughs> And when I pointed out what these people really teach, I'm accused of causing division. Uh, well, maybe we need to divide ourselves from this, uh, from this sort of thing. Just another letter. I guess it was out of place here. As a former adherent, oh no, it's not. It's tying into what we're talking about, the connection to science of mind. He, he says, uh, as a former adherent to the word of faith teaching, my life was hell on earth for three years. This was complicated by the fact that I was in a sort of mystical fog during that time, totally out of touch with reality. And then he goes on, and he left the church, he abandoned uh, God, and he says, uh, I, I left the word church where I was an organist, and I was in a used bookstore one day and purchased an old Christian science hymnal. I was amazed to see that their songs would be perfectly appropriate in a word church. Same teaching. In fact, Kenneth Hagin 
says, sometimes when I'm speaking, people accuse me of teaching Christian science. <laughs> uh, and he says, well, yeah, what I teach is kind of like it, but it really isn't. This letter, a woman says, I became a believer at 39. There's another connection that I want to give to you, and that is to the success motivation teaching uh, out there in, in the world, in the business world. Um, this lady says, I became a believer at 39 after having tried every type of self-actualization theory. Uh, every group out there, including Scientology, ESP, parapsychology, psychiatry, psychology, unit, unity, you name it. Shortly after becoming a believer, I found myself in the charismatic movement, surrounded by positive thinking Christians who spoke a language much like I had learned in business and through my many hours with either a psychologist or a psychiatrist. At first, I heard myself saying, gosh, why did I struggle against God for so long? These folks speak my language. But an amazing thing happened. As I began to read the word of God, it did not match up with my or their language. There's a connection. It, it's, isn't it amazing that Robert Schuller and Norman Vincent Peale uh, are just as popular in the world as they are in the church? <laughs> they teach the same thing in seminars to business leaders, godless, unsaved business leaders that they teach in the church. They use the same language. It's centered in self. It's new age. It's the attempt to gain empowerment. Uh, talk about perversion of the scriptures. One of Robert Schuller's books a couple of years ago was titled Believe in the God Who Believes in You. Uh, Jan Crouch sent a message out like that even before this to her uh, people on her mailing list. God believes in you and so do I. Well, if God believes in me, he's, he's got problems. And in fact, Paul said we have no confidence in the flesh. I don't have confidence in my flesh or your flesh and why God would believe in me uh, is certainly not biblical. And look at what he, where he gets it. For example, instead of, thou shalt have no other gods before me, this is from his magazine, uh, uh, Dr. Schuler restates the principle, believe in the God who believes in you. Now, how do you go from, thou shalt have no other gods before me, to the statement, believe in the God who believes in you? That's some exegesis. Uh, it's rather miraculous. Uh, now, in his um, Possibilities magazine, I'm showing you again the connection between this and, and success teaching out there. Uh, he had an article, well, it was actually summarizing Dennis Waitley. You know Dennis Waitley? Uh, his Ten Steps. Uh, and these were, he called it, Ten Steps to Positive Faith. Number six, get high on yourself. <laughs> Number eight, visualize, think, and speak well of your health. Use positive self-talk on a daily basis. Questions about your faith, to check up on your faith. Number three, are you lucky? Number six, would others view you as an optimist? Number seven, do you fantasize and imagine your own success? Number eight, do you encourage or criticize yourself in your self-talk? has absolutely nothing to do with faith. The Bible says have faith in God. This is not faith that these people are talking about. It's something else. Casey Treat, again, uh, uses the sim similar language from psychology and success seminars. Um, he's advertising some books from Casey Treat Ministries. Your Vision is Your Future by Casey Treat. Find out how your future is in your own hands and what you can do to make it all you want. 
You can change your negative vision and create a positive one by using the dynamic principles in this book. You get that in any success motivation seminar in the, in the business world. Spirit of the Mind, another little booklet by Casey Tree. By the time you're 14 years old, your thought patterns and attitudes are programmed into your mind. This is Freudian, Adlerian psychology. In fact, they say by the time you're six. Positive and negative programs control the way you act, talk, and make decisions. Casey Treat writes, that can, uh, Casey Treat writes, that can change those old programs. And it doesn't make sense, I'm sorry, but anyway, that's what it says. That can change those old programs. I guess his writings change those old programs and reprogram your computer, the spirit of the mind, and unlock the mysteries of the subconscious. Again, a Freudian uh, technique. Uh, Norman Vincent Peale says, when you're praying, you're communing with the unconscious mind within, uh, with the power within. Uh, just to give you some other examples of how they pervert the scripture. Have you seen Oral or Richard or somebody say, touch the TV, touch my hand, and they call it a point of contact. You know where that comes from? Matthew 18, 19. They didn't understand the old English of the King James. It says, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, it's, what is it, as touching anything, what does it mean? It means regarding anything. Uh, that's what the old English means. It doesn't mean touching something, that you both touch something. And here's W.B. Grant again. And he sends out two red Genesis stones, he calls them. Uh, and... Uh, uh, I want you, not anyone else, to sleep on the two Genesis... Actually, it's, it's glass, but he calls them stones. Um, I want you, not anyone else, to sleep on the two Genesis uh, stones, ruby red miracle stones. Go now and place them under your pillow for tonight only. I want you to sleep on these two red stones and so forth. Next in the morning, take these two red Bible stones from under your pillow you may keep only one. You must give the second one to someone. He goes on. He says, God's power. You folks are going to be amazed. <laughs> God's power is upon these two ruby red Genesis 28, 11, 12 stones. Well, that was because Jacob slept on a stone, you know, for a pillow. As a point of faith contact. See, if two of you shall agree as touching anything. Well, you laugh. It's. It's tragic. It, it, it is humorous. It's, it's astonishing. Why? Why is this so? Because they despise doctrine. Here's an article by uh, Kenneth Copeland. He says, we, want to have, we need to come together to be unified. And he says, that union won't be based on doctrine. Doctrine doesn't unify, it divides. It doesn't matter, I'm quoting verbatim, it doesn't matter what your doctrine is. We'll be unified by the Spirit of God when we drop our silly list of doctrinal demands and come together in the unity of faith. Wait a minute, what is faith? Faith in someone, something. It all, it's not a power of the mind, it depends whom you believe and what you believe, in whom you believe and what you believe. And he says, no, we'll come together when we give up our silly doctrinal demands. And you may have seen Paul Crouch. I sat there... And I was almost frightened because I know that I'm one of the targets of these men. Um, and he denounced what he called heresy hunters. He was almost out of control. I don't know if any of you saw it for about 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, and he said, if God doesn't kill you first, I will. And he said, you can't. I'm quoting him verbatim. You can go to hell, uh, you heresy hunters. 
And then he said, I don't care about your doctrines. See, they despise doctrine. Isn't that a fulfillment of Scripture? Second Timothy chapter 4. It says the time will come when they will not endure uh, sound doctrine. Uh, well, he says, so long as you name the name of Jesus. You ever hear people say this? Well, they name the name of Christ. Which Christ? Mormons name the name of Christ. Uh, so do a lot of people. But what do they mean by this? So long as you name the name of Christ, you believe that he died was buried and came out of the tomb on Sunday morning and said to the Father, I don't care about anything else. Let's join hands to get this gospel preached to the world. Let me tell you one of the things that they believe. Yeah, they believe that. But you know what they teach? Hagen and Copeland and so forth. They teach that when Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. It wasn't finished. Our redemption doesn't come through the blood of Christ shed upon the cross. And although Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, he did not end up in the hands of his father. He ended up in the hands of Satan in hell, where he was tortured three days and three nights by Satan. And that's where our redemption comes from. And what are we going to do? Suppose Satan didn't torture Jesus enough. Are we not saved? If he did, do we thank him? Is he our co-redeemer? This is incredible heresy. Yeah, they believe Jesus died and, and so forth. But wait a minute. Uh, there's some other doctrine involved in this. For three days, I'm quoting him. For three days, every demon in hell came down on him to annihilate him, tortured him beyond anything that has ever been conceived. In a thunderous spiritual force, the voice of God spoke to the death-whipped, broken, punished spirit of Jesus. Suddenly, his twisted, death-racked spirit began to fill out and come back to life. He was literally being reborn before the devil's very eyes, and so forth and so on. I got news for you. You know, they sing some popular songs. Holiday in hell. All the demons are having a great time when Jesus is in the grave. You've got to be kidding. Satan hasn't even been to hell yet. And he's not the proprietor. He doesn't run this place. And he's not going to be torturing anybody. He is going to be locked up there and tortured himself. What incredible twisting uh, of the word of God. Well, Benny Hinn says, say after me. Within me is a God-man. In fact, he says, when you were born again, God gave you this brand new being. This brand new being was created before the foundation of the world. Hey, we got the Mormons' pre-existent state. Benny Hinn's got us. Our, our, our born-again God-man is already in existence. And when we get saved, it comes into us. <laughs> uh, and now he says, repeat after me. I'm born of heaven. I'm a God-man. I'm a God-man. I'm a sample of Jesus. I'm a super being. In fact, he says... Adam was a super being. He says Adam could flit off to the moon uh, in a thought. He could swim underwater like the fish, he says, because he had dominion. And if you had dominion over this earth, you could do anything that any of the animals could do. I guess he could swing by his tail in a tree like a monkey and so forth. Now, let me try. Wow. Very little time left. Let me try to explain what they're really saying and a little more depth how they pervert the scripture. Uh, for example, uh, they'll take Philippians 4.13. We don't take time to turn to it, but you know what it says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they use that to mean I'm always successful, I'm always victorious, I'm always prosperous. Wait a minute, let's get the context of this thing. Paul was writing from prison. And Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. 
I know how to suffer need. I know how to be full and to be empty. And he's really putting the emphasis upon suffering for Christ when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they ignore that totally, and they pervert the scripture, and they use it for something that was not intended. They, they would say from Hebrews 11, verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. They say, no, 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 wait a minute. Now, these are not Greek scholars. Uh, they're not scholars at all. Uh, and um, they say, no, that's not what it says. Now, now, follow this, folks. The Bible says, by faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. They say, no, what it says is, we understand that it was by faith that God framed the world. Now, you see what they've done. They've turned faith into a force that God used to create the worlds. This fourth force is controlled by laws. It is contained in words. And when you speak these words, it ex this power, this force explodes. So they will go then to uh, Genesis 1, verse 3, 6, and, and so forth. Genesis 1, verse 3 says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And they say, see, God said it, and it happened. No, don't put the emphasis upon God said, put the emphasis upon God. It happened not because God said it, but because it was God who said it. And we can turn out the lights and sit here and say, let there be light, let there be light, let there be light. And I guarantee you there won't be light until the sun comes up uh, in the morning. But these men say that God is a faith God. And he had faith in his faith. And Kenneth Hagin teaches you must learn to have faith in your faith. Because faith is a force. This is new age. This is new thought. This is occultism. This is not Bible. This is not of God. This is leading people astray. Um, so, Kenneth, so what follows from this then? It's science. It works by laws. It's not grace. It works by laws. Well, then there are no miracles. Don't you realize there are no miracles in science? You know what the scientist, the skeptical scientist says to you? You think that's a miracle because you don't know the law that governed, that made it happen. See, the poor ignorant savage, when you shoot a gun, he thinks it's a miracle. You come flying in a plane, he thinks it's a miracle. But it's not a miracle, it's simply a law that these people don't understand. So there are no miracles. It all works by laws. Well then, what's the next consequence of this? If it all works by laws, you don't even have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a Christian to flip the switch and get electric current flowing through the light, right? You don't have to be walking with God to do that. And so Kenneth Hagin, in uh, a little book that actually the title of it is Having Faith in Your Faith, he says, It used to bother me when I'd see unsaved people getting results, but my church members not getting results. Then it dawned on me what the sinners were doing. They were cooperating with this law of God, the law of faith. What? Can, um, Charles Capps, God's creative power will work for you. He says words are the most powerful thing in the universe. Now we've got something more powerful than God called words. And God uses words, and you can use words because you're a little God, and if you learn to speak the creative word, you can speak worlds into existence. You can create your own circumstances just like God does. He says man is a spirit being very capable of operating on the same level of faith as God. Now, listen to this. So you, I want you to get the connection between this whole thing. He says, it is a scientific application of the wisdom of God to the psychological makeup of man. A scientific application to the psychological makeup uh, of, of man. Paul Yonggi Cho teaches the same thing. He says, 
I asked the Holy Spirit. Now, if he dreamed this on his own, that's one thing. But if he's got God talking to him, he's got serious problems because God is not saying what God would say. He says, I asked him how the Nichiren Shoshu, Nam Yohorenga Kyo, this is their positive uh, chance that they have, you know, to create miracles. And I asked God, how come they get miracles? God says, they're simply fourth dimension beings. We're all spirit beings. They can do it simply because they're spirit beings. Satan is a fourth dimension being. God's a fourth dimension being. So are we. And there are certain laws that govern the power in the fourth dimension. And when you operate in obedience to those laws, then you're just like God. You can make it happen like God makes it happen. This is exactly what what these people teach. Well, I'm running out of time. Uh, where, Where does this come from? How do they justify this? They get new revelation. We talked about Napoleon Hill. He got them from spirit beings. Uh, uh, Carl Jung got them from spirit beings. I mentioned a 900-foot Jesus. That's where Oral Roberts got his from. You know that Jesus appeared to, to Paul Yonggi Cho in a red fireman's uniform. I don't think Jesus is running around in a red fireman's uniform. Jesus appeared to Kenneth Hagin, and he gave him four principles, which if you follow these principles, you can always get what you want from God. Okay? Jesus is always appearing to these people, talking through them. They're getting new revelations. They're not going by the word of God, but they're accepting something in addition to it. Just as the Christian psychologists accept something in addition to it. Just as the Mormons accept something in addition to it. Whether it's the Doctrine and Covenants, the Book of Mormon, or the Journal of Discourses, whatever it is. Just as the Roman Catholic Church accepts something in addition to the Bible. It's the tradition. It's the canons and decrees of the councils. It's the declarations of the Pope ex cathedra and so forth. Are you seeing the connection? There is a delusion that is coming from the spirit realm. It takes the same form. It follows the same channels. Uh, in in many ways. I don't know if you're familiar with the book out there, God Calling. Have you heard of that one? It continues to be a big seller in Christian bookstores. A couple of ladies sat down and they began to get automatic writing. And then they mentioned, they said, uh, how, well, we were overwhelmed by the wonder of it and could hardly realize that we were being taught, trained, and encouraged day by day by him personally when millions of souls far worthier had to be content with guidance from the Bible. And it sells like gangbusters in Christian bookstores. Now, Mark Berkler was with, uh, they've separated, they parted the ways. Here's a picture of Mark Berkler and his pastor, um, Tommy Reed and Paul Yonggi Cho. He taught a course and he has a book out there. Two-way dialogue with God. Uh, Beyond academics to spirit encounter. We go beyond theology, the study of God, to actual actual spirit encounter, where our students learn fuller ways of experiencing God. He does this through visualization. Here are some of the testimonials um, from Paul Yonggi Cho, uh, from Tommy Reed. Here's one from Richard Watson, Oral Roberts University. He says, Communion with God by Mark and Patty Brickler has dramatically changed my prayer life. I have found I can will to dialogue with Christ on a daily basis, and I do. I believe this inspired approach to be absolutely essential to the growth of every serious Christian. Other leaders say it's going to transform the church, which indeed it will. What a delusion. He began to visualize Jesus. (laughs) And this Jesus will talk back to you. In Seduction of Christianity, I tell about Robert Wise, pastor of a large, um, I I think it's a, a Presbyterian church. Uh, near near uh, Oklahoma City. 
he became a union analyst. Got his Ph.D. And then he was led into inner healing by Rosalind Rinker, who learned it from Agnes Sanford. And he said, as I visualized myself for the first time, visualized myself back as a child, and I visualized Jesus coming, uh, uh, approaching me, suddenly, I was no longer in control. This Jesus took on a life of his own, and he begins to speak. And these men tell you, you can get in touch with God. You can get in touch with Jesus, and he will literally talk to you. No, you can't call from the right hand of the Father on high. The Son of God is your private guru to appear before you and have a private conversation with him anytime you want. You remember when Jesus appeared uh, after his resurrection to the, to the twelve, and Doubting Thomas wasn't there. And you know what they told him. They said, well, it is really not too important that you weren't here. All you've got to do is visualize Jesus and he'll be right there for you. No, no. He had to wait seven days until Jesus in his own time and way came to meet him. You remember at the lake shore, Jesus appeared. And you remember what he says? This was now the umpteenth time that Jesus had appeared because his disciples knew this wonderful technique of visualization and all they had to do was visualize that Jesus was there any time they wanted. No, no, it doesn't say that. What does it say? This was the what? Third time Jesus appeared. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he enumerates the appearances of Jesus. You can count them on one hand to whom he appeared. And last of all to me also. Now, I don't have any objection if Jesus really appears to you. I'm not a, a, a denier of visions, of miracles, uh, if God chooses to do it. But if you have learned a technique for making it happen, then you are into divination, which is absolutely forbidden. And if you would read, for example, Isaiah uh, chapter 42, you remember the people come to Jeremiah. I'm sorry, I said Isaiah. Jeremiah chapter 42. You remember the people come to Jeremiah and they say, go to God and get orders from him, and we'll obey. They had no intention of obeying. It's like the young man who prays, Oh God, please lead me to the girl you've chosen to be my wife. But Lord, let it be Joanne. Uh, it's like Balaam. God had already told him not to go with these, those men. When a new group comes, he says, Well, I will go and see what God will say more. They were trying and trying until they get a message from God that they agree with. They had no intention of obeying it. And, you know, when, when Jeremiah told them God's orders, they wouldn't obey. But you remember what Jeremiah did? He knew about this before Edgar Casey came along. All he did is put his hand over the third eye and he, and he went off into his alpha levels and visualized and he got it. No, you read verse 7 in Jeremiah 42. And I want you, just as we close, to turn to Jeremiah 14. 14. But you read verse 7 and what does it say? After ten days, after ten days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, you don't tell God when to talk to you. He will do it. He speaks to his prophets as he pleases and they have no technique. And these people are teaching a technique today. In fact, Paul Yonggi Cho says, we've got to live in vision and dream. Uh, uh, the first book, I think there's been about ten books now written against seduction of Christianity. Uh, the first one uh, declared, Paul Yonggi Cho teaches it, and they said that scientists teach it, psychologists teach it, that God has created the human brain and the human mind so that we don't think in words, we think in images. When you say tree, you see a tree. When you say cow, you see a cow. 
wait a minute, what do you see when I say, wait a minute, what do you see? What do you see when I say truth, justice, holiness? They are robbing us of the moral, the conceptual content and the spiritual content of language. And just across the page, if you turn to Jeremiah 14, just across the page in verse, chapter 13, verse 10. This evil people that, which refuse to hear my words which walk in the imagination of their heart. I'm going over time. I just want to try to finish this thought because I think it's very helpful and important. They refuse to hear my words. They walk in the imagination of their heart. The Bible is not written in pictures. It is not written in, in vision, visual language even. It's written in words. People say, yeah, but God uses a lot of imagery. Uh, I mean, he did send a, a, it gave Peter a vision, you know. A sheep came down filled with all kinds of animals. Yes, and Peter didn't have a clue what it meant <laughs> until God spoke to him audibly and told him in words what it meant. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. Indeed it is, because everybody has their own idea of what it means, and nobody really knows. So it takes a lot of words to try to figure out what this guy is trying to paint in this picture. God did not write in pictures. Oh, wait a minute now, wait a minute, brother. You know, I've debated these people. Uh, wait a minute now, brother. Jesus used parables. He used visual imagery to teach people. Did he? Wait a minute. Go back and read your Bible. I don't want to go around telling you. Read it for yourself. Read it in Matthew 13. Read another passage in the Bible. What does it say? It says, He spoke in parables so that seeing they would not see and hearing they would not hear. He spoke in parables so the people would not understand. And when he was alone with his disciples, he revealed to them the meaning of this. Perverting the scripture. He doesn't use visual imagery. He uses words. And it's an evil people who want visual imagery instead of words. And Jesus is the word, the living word of God. But notice verse 14, chapter 14. And then the Lord said unto me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. And you notice three things. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. God says, I did not initiate this. I didn't speak to them. I didn't command them. I didn't send them. This thing did not originate with me. Where did it originate? They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught, and the deceit of their heart. We have to be very careful that we really want God's will, that we really love his truth. It's not what I say or what you say. One day, a very solemn thought, I don't think we think of it enough. It's not going to be me against Kenneth Copeland or Paul Yonggi Cho. He's got a church that he claims 700,000 members. Okay. But one day, Paul Yonggi Cho and Dave Hunt and each one of you is going to stand before Almighty God. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account for every word that we've spoken, all the deeds done in the body. And that is an awesome thought. We're not here to put people down. We're not here to push our own agenda, our own ideas. We're here to say we have to do 
with the living God. And we are all, we will all be held accountable by him. I think that ought to solemnize your heart, my heart, uh, each of us. Do I just want to debate? Do I search the Bible to try to find some verse that will prove my point? Or am I honestly seeking to know him and his word and his will? Why are you here? You know, I don't want to be your guru. Ed doesn't want it. Al doesn't want to be. We don't want to be your gurus. That's, I will say that's one of the things that, that bothers us a bit in our ministry that Brian called. So many people write to us and, and we're, we're thrilled to, we're happy to respond with many, many questions. But sometimes it almost seems like they want to look to us as the authority. And they're not willing to study for themselves. Check it out. You do some research. Study the Word of God. Don't look to some authority figure. But know it for yourself. Otherwise, you don't have a solid foundation. And I find so many people don't really know the Word of God for themselves. If you don't know the Word of God, Al was, uh, was, was emphasizing that, then how do you know that something's wrong when you're confronted by it? It should immediately, immediately trigger verses in the Word of God that say, that is not Bible. That is not right. And there may be some people here tonight. I don't know, all of you out there who've come, and maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you've never personally met him. You have to. One day you will. You will either meet him now as your savior, or you will meet him as your judge. And not the judge just of your deeds for reward or loss of reward, as is the case with Christians. But he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Does Jesus know you? Do you really know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him so that he can say, yes, I know so-and-so. I know them. They're one of mine. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. That's one of the things that really distresses me. He goes on, he says, a stranger they will not follow because they know not the voice of strangers. They flee from the voice of strangers. And I find so many people who claim to be Christians, who claim to know the Lord, they don't act like a sheep at all. They'll follow any false teaching. They'll follow any strange shepherd who comes along and tells them what they want to hear because they really don't want God's will, but they want to get for themselves. And that's a dangerous position to be in. We've got more than this life to be concerned about. We have eternity to face. And, you know, I, I'm uh, 66 now. Can't believe it. I don't know where the time went. And I can tell you it gets to be a slippery slope. It goes faster and faster. Uh, and this, the end of this life, I'm looking for the rapture at any moment, but if it doesn't happen, the youngest of you here, the end of this life faces you. We are going to step out into eternity. And we're going to meet the God who created us. And we're going to give an account. And you know, he made every provision. We're sinners. We don't deserve anything. It's not going to help you to do yoga. It's not going to help you to do any of these techniques. I often say to some of these people, you can't even get off of a parking ticket by yoga. You know, how do you think you're going to pacify the judge of the universe 
by some altered state of consciousness or whatever. We have violated God's laws. Haven't we not? Uh, we're sinners. We know it in our conscience. That's serious. It's not like the courts in our land, you know, murder, you get 20 years maybe. You might even get three or four. We had a fellow in, in, in Bend recently murdered his wife. I think they gave him three years. He's already out uh, after a few months. It's not that way with God. We would be separated from him forever and forever because we have offended infinite justice and that requires an infinite penalty. And we're finite beings. We could never pay it. Now, God could pay it. But it wouldn't be just because he's not a member of our race. So God became a man. He never ceased to be God. He will never cease to be man. He is the one and only God-man. Not what Benny Hinn says. You're not a God-man. You never will be a God-man. You're a child of God through faith in Christ Jesus, through his redemptive work. But there's one God-man, the only begotten Son of God. He is God and man in one person. And because of who he is, he could pay the debt that you and I owed and could never pay. And he did. He died for our sins. It wasn't Satan that, that he paid the debt to, as some of these men say. The debt was paid to God. It pleased Jehovah to bruise him. He has put upon him our sins. And he, having paid the debt fully because he's infinite, he rose from the dead. He's alive. He wants an entrance into your heart. Maybe you call yourself a Christian. Maybe you believe a lot about Jesus. But you never personally met him. He doesn't know you. You haven't become personally acquainted with him. And Revelation 3.20, he said, when he rose from the dead, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is the door of every human heart. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. He wants to live in us. Change us. Cleanse us from sin. Be our Savior, our Lord. And that was how I came to know Christ. Fifty-three years ago, I think it was. And I can remember like it was yesterday. I got on my knees. I was bothered by faith. Maybe some of you are. It says, He that believeth on the Son. And I said, Well, suppose I say I believe, but I've got a secret doubt back in there somewhere. And I went to a, a preacher who was at a camp. And he was the speaker. And I told him my problem. I knew the gospel. And he said, well, don't worry about your faith. Jesus said, if you would open the door of your heart and ask him in, he will come in. Why don't you leave it up to him? And so I said, well, I'm going to pray that prayer. Let's bow. And I'm going to suggest that any of you who have never personally met Jesus, you might pray just silently in your own heart to him, not to me, not to your neighbor, not to anyone else. You could pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are who you claim to be. You're not a liar. You're not a self-deceived maniac who thought you were God. But all the evidence indicates you are who you claim to be. I believe that you died for my sins on the cross. I thank you for dying for my sins. I confess I'm a sinner. And I thank you for paying a debt that I could never pay. I believe you rose from the dead. You're alive right now, seeking an entrance into my heart. And Lord Jesus, I don't understand everything fully, but I hear your voice. And you promised 
that you would come in if I open the door. And right now, by an act of my own will, Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart. Come in. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Cleanse me from sin as you promised. Make me the person you want me to be. Live your life through me from this moment on. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into my heart. Lord, I pray for each one who may have prayed that prayer, that they will talk with you. They may not have felt anything, or they may have felt you come in, as I did. But that's not what matters. What matters is you said you would, and that's what we rely upon. There will be times when they will not feel like they're really Christians, like you're living with them. They may have doubts. Lord Jesus, may they not rely upon any feeling, but simply upon your promise. You do not lie. And if they were sincere, if they asked you to come in as repentant sinners and received you as the one who died for their sins, you said you would do so. And Lord, then help them to study your word, to talk to you in prayer, to be in a Christian fellowship, and then to tell others that they belong to you. Lord, for each of us, help us to love you and serve you, to follow you, and to rescue as many as we can before it's forever too late. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're tuned in with the Underground Christian Network.